Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Greetings and welcome to Under Consultation, the podcast going through the UK's greatest video game challenge TV show, Games Master, and the shows that came in its aftermath. I am one of your hosts, Luke Owen, and I'm flying solo today as, uh, well, I'm flying, flying solo at least for this intro portion, as I'm going to be sitting down with the co-creator of McNeil and Pamphalon Go 8-Bit, the very successful Edinburgh Fringe comedy show that spun off into its own London-based uh, show. Uh, they got a bit of a residency. I mean, you're going to hear Steve talk about this in a second. And then became the TV show Dara O'Brien's Go 8-Bit. Uh, so I'm going to be chatting with Steve about that, about the genesis of the show, the successes of the original show, and how that translated to TV and the very, very difficult process that Steve went through getting that show made. And I'll be honest with you, when you finish this episode, you might think to yourself, it's amazing they got anything done. So without further ado, let's head on in to this chat. How are you doing today? Yeah, I'm good, man. Thank you for um, having me on. I'm very excited to chat about um, it. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's been kind of nice for us, really, because we've gone through, you know, the sort of podcast journey we've been on. Like, you know, we started covering Games Master and then we finished that. And then we were like, well, let's look at all the shows that happened in between Games Master finishing and the reboot happening a couple of years back. So we looked at Thumb Bandits and Bits and... uh, Uh, video uh, uh, ultimate gamer on sci-fi beautiful uh, gamesville Ev- everything pretty much like charlie wow. brooker's games wipe anything we could like face you find that was a free that's good because now i know i now i know i can't be too niche in terms of <laughs> points for your audience that's great but we always felt like we were on this countdown to to go eight bits 
and oh, uh, we did video game nation as well and i was like oh wow no. you didn't get me on how dare you that's because i'd spoken with adam and i was i was oh, like you know, right. okay, the, yeah, the series don't but I, i've got questions about uh, video game nation for you coming up as well so technically oh, okay. i will have All you right. on the video game nation episode but uh i was like you know when we get to it we really should reach out to steve and, and see if he fancies a chat with us because i'd really like to you know, get, dive into sort of like how go 8-bit came together and everything like that but sure. before we get to that uh yeah. because we were a games master podcast i do have to ask you what's your history with games master uh, well, I'm well. I'm 43 at, at the time of recording, which means I'm exactly the age of every games master viewer of notes. Um, and <laughs> yeah, it was it was uh, watched religiously uh, when I was a kid. Um, I have very fond memories of it. It's, that was um, I, I'm not going to say anything new about why Games Master was amazing, uh, given you've done a podcast of every single episode of it. But uh, to echo what is no doubt the overwhelming sentiment of what everybody has said about Games Master. Uh, as as a sort of you know tween becoming teen adolescent in the UK in the in the nineties, um, it was it felt like a naughty thing that it wasn't meant to exist, but it did, and it was ours, and it was about the thing we loved, and it was it was it was truly special. I think I, I think Games Master uniquely uh, occupies a place in uh british if not global tv history in terms of what it managed to do for gaming it it's important it, its importance cannot be overstated which sounds like i'm blowing smoke up your ass because i'm on a games master podcast but i'm not it was a profoundly important show to me and millions of other people and i have a, it, i have a lot of love and uh admiration for it as a thing so you'd have been uh frankie pretty... ward ruined it though i mean we should get that <laughs> I'm, jo- I'm joking i'm joking i love frankie i know frankie very well um and uh she was brilliant in it in the reboot uh, <laughs> um i mean you were of uh, you know a, a, an impressionable age i suppose when the show came yeah. to an end were you watching any of the shows that came out afterwards you know the, the aforementioned thumb bandits bits etc yeah a little bit i, I was because I, I grew up in milton Keynes, so we had sky tv on cable so we like had sky for free we was because it was all very modern then milton Keynes. so um pretty much every gaming show that turned up on sky or one of its random offshoot channels over the years i got i, I sort of fell away from it all probably about the age I discovered sort of alcohol and mischief. So sort of when I turned 16, 17 to sort of late nineties, I drift away from it, but any, anything up till then I, I would have had a passing interest in, but uh, obviously big boy Barry was my other big God, who I'm very lucky to uh, call a friend uh, now uh, as a result of my ridiculous career, but um definitely watching uh, his shows uh, on sky back in the day. That was, that was probably the other main one for me. Cause I think, oh, what was it? Uh, annoyingly. And I know you'll know the answer. Cause of course you will. What was the one that was on like tea time? On Sky so Games World. Games World. Yeah, exactly that. So that was, I'd get in, eat a bowl of Golden Graham's dry, uh, no milk, uh, and watch a bit of Games World after school. So that was very much part of my routine uh, when I was growing up. So that would be my other main. But obviously I'm f- familiar with and have seen pretty much everything else that they've ever that anybody's if you bothered to make a video gaming thing on telly i've probably seen it uh is is the the milk thing specifically for golden grahams or is it just, i like it, it in cereal like it's crisps uh <laughs> i always have so i like a dry bowl of cereal that i eat like it's crisps like sweet crisps uh mm. i don't know how weird that is but i do it and i'm too old to change now well, I'm I'm not one to kink shame, so uh, are you? It's you not a kink. On. It's not a sex thing, which is weird because <laughs> most things I do turn into sex things, but the cereal thing is just straight down the barrel food. Um, so let's talk about your, your the you said then your, the the incredible career that you've had, the bizarre career that you've had. What was yeah, let's your go with bizarre, not incredible? <laughs> 
What was your comedy career pre-Edinburgh Go 8 bit? Uh, okay, uh, well, it's uh, really weird. Um, so I, I got into performing quite late, I guess. I, I'd always been into it, so I did the school plays and all that sort of stuff. But I, I went and I did a management degree. I got a proper job when I left school. Um, and then I hated it. And so I sort of got into amateur dramatics and things, little, little local community arts things. But I wanted to do it properly. I'd always quite enjoyed it. So I went to theatre school when I was 25, 26. Um, and I, I te- I'd always lent towards comedy. So I tended to do better in like comedic roles and things. Um, and then what happened was a year after I graduated, I went up to, I wanted to go to the Edinburgh Fringe Festival because that's a thing. I think if you're, if you're aspiring and I went up there, I was in a musical about uh, anti-terror legislation, <laughs> which actually five stars in the Guardian. So actually it wasn't shit. Uh, can I swear <laughs> on this? I already have loads. Yeah, yeah, you're fine. Okay. All right. It's too late now. And the horse is bolted. But uh, so I was in this musical, uh, which was actually good. Um but I saw an advert on Short or the comedy website. They were looking for, um, uh, at the time, it was a, a black guy, an Asian woman, and a white guy to be parts in this co- comedian's uh, stand-up show. And it was all very cryptic. But I was the only, I was the only white guy that replied, so I got in it. Uh, and, and what that turned out to be was Brendan Burns' show in 2007, which won the Perrier or whatever it was called at that point. So I sort of walked ass backers into the, winning the biggest award in comedy by proxy to another man and uh I, you know I, I i had a small role I, occasionally the clip goes viral of uh me and sajila's role who played my sister in it because um out of context it looks like something it isn't so yeah once every couple of years i'll get harassed by all my friends going is that you <laughs> yeah but it's not real uh but um i enjoyed that and as my background was in acting this is a long answer because my background was in acting i didn't want to do stand-up i wasn't brave enough to do stand-up at that point but i thought sketch comedy would be all right um, and Matt Holt, who was one of the directors of uh, Brandon's show, uh, he ended up helping me assemble a bunch of like-minded actors with a comedy leaning. And uh, I got a little gang together. There was 15 of us initially. Uh, then there were six. And then when everybody had finally left, that left only me and Sam Pamphalon. Um, So nobody else would work with us. But we stuck together and did sketch comedy for about three years. Um, I was the, Oh, I was Rick Mayo's understudy in a Michael Frame play and his brain flat as ears. So I had to be Rick Mayle instead of him. Um, and that didn't run for as long as they intended it to as a result, <laughs> but I was warmly received by the critics, but I don't have quite the, I, I mean, then or now uh, I don't have the draw of a Rick Mayle <laughs> on the box office. So uh, I, yeah, I was cursed to failure, but um, so I was doing well as a comedy actor for a bunch of years and then drifted into comedy. You, you didn't have Nintendo calling you to be like, we're going to redo the Nintendo adverts from the 90s that Rick Mail did, but we're going to get you to do them instead. I have never had Nintendo call me. <laughs> <laughs> so you're working with Sam. I'm assuming this is yeah. where the origins of Go 8-Bit uh, begin. Uh, nearly. We did uh, We did three sketch shows. So we um, 2010 to 2012, we did sketch comedy for three years. And then we'd got a sitcom in development hell at the BBC, and it came to sort of signing up for the fringe again. And we hadn't written anything. We'd got like, I'll try to remember now. We had, we had a song that was rubbish uh, and a sketch about shades of white paint. And so we decided we wouldn't go to Edinburgh and spend 10 grand. Be a lot more now, wouldn't it? But 10 grand was obscene then. Um, so we weren't going to go. But I was in a play, comedy play up there uh, by Garrett Millerick, who's a brilliant stand-up who's doing really well at the moment. He'd written a play. So I went up and did that and... 
we'd originally, when we were going to go up to Edinburgh, do go eight bit as just a fun thing at the weekends. And I said, oh, I can't, you know, there's no point if you're not coming. But Sam said he'd pop up and we'd do it anyway. So all go eight bit was, was it was meant a bit because the fringe is horrible. We never had an easy run. We just thought if we could just get all our comedian friends leathered and play Mario Kart and swear at each other, that would probably be funny enough to charge people to watch. But even if it wasn't, if we'd been flyering all week and nobody had come to our sketch show or we'd had a dreadful review, we could just get wasted and play video games. <laughs> That's all it was. Like, like I'm obviously the games master podcast. The original, po- the first posters that we had, 2013. The sort of strapline was literally uh, like games master in a cupboard, drunk. It was like <laughs> how how we build go eight bit. <laughs> it's the original show. So um, the games master influence and uh, and brand was was there from day one. So I, I read online that it was um, kind of the Wii that was a bit of a sort of a, a turning point for you in terms of this because it had a load of retro stuff on it. Is that, is yeah. that kind of like you? How how big was the Wii for you then? The the, the first Go Eight Bit show, so the 2013 one, the first year we did it, the live show was entirely run off a Nintendo Wii, um, uh, and that was I'm trying to think what games we played. It was because of the Virtual Console. So what it did was it was very lightweight, very portable. It had a good retro library without having to bugger around with emulation or anything. So I think, and it had multiple platforms. So I think we did. Um, I think we did Mario Kart Double Dash because Rohan, who actually Rohan was the other guy who uh, directed Brendan Burns' show. He was the producer of Go 8-Bit at that point. He was a TV producer and he was helping us develop it. So we played Mario Kart Double Dash, uh, Street Fighter 2, Turbo, the best one, and Bomberman, I think was the other game that we had in the show. Uh, And then a guy called Guy Kelly uh, would complete Sonic the Hedgehog 2 in under a minute, blindfolded uh, with his feet. Was the other thing that was in the show at that point, because yeah, uh, but so you know you could do Sega, Nintendo, n- newer stuff, older stuff. Bomberman's just a great one for four player, obviously. So it it it, it was just the easiest hardware in two thousand and thirteen to to run that off, and it got um. Did you do HDMI out? No, I think I went through a converter, but um, it was the Wii U that had HDMI out, wasn't it? But it, mm. it did component it, it it upscaled to four eighty p or something, so it it looked all right on a big screen. Um, so I mean, would, I, yeah, no, 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 no. I think I think I've said more than enough about the uh, <laughs> connectivity uh, sockets on a Wii. Uh, please, please move the conversation on to anything else. We recently did a live show uh, where we did some like video game challenges and stuff, you know, our own version of Games Master. And oh, yeah. you made a right choice in doing everything just on a Wii. We end up doing most of it on the Switch. But our final challenge we wanted to do was um, Saturn Bomberman. Because you can oh. do like the big eight player, and it ended up being a nightmare to set is. up because we were trying to get a Saturn to run oh, and two doing go eight bit live was horrible. <laughs> but the amount of work to make that show happen in 2013, the number oh Christ, yeah, it's not it's not easy. No, well, that's what I was going to ask. Like, you know, even if you're just running it through the Wii, are you still mm. getting issues then with certain games, or is it with like people being a bit cack at them, or is it just a case yeah, of well, things yeah. going wrong? Yeah, all that, and you know that, and that will no doubt continue when you have the conversations about the TV show. <laughs> <laughs> so, the way that we, the way we we picked games that weren't too hard to play. Um, so, like Street Fighter, you can just button mash. Bomberman, as long as you don't just stick a bomb on under your ass and stand there, you should be able to avoid it. And the later Mario Kart steer quite forgivingly. Like the we originally we were going to do the SNES Mario Kart, but it's horrible. It's impossible to let someone play 
like get someone to play that if they've never played it before because it's brutally sharp the turns on it. But the logic of the games was that um, they were all quite straightforward, so they shouldn't be too bad. And whenever we could, we'd get the guests along with enough time to have a go on each of them, so they touched them. Um, but the hardest bit about it is the hardest thing now when you see stuff done at um, gaming events and things. What what people don't realise is how hard it is to make a live show that uses video games because you've got to load games and bugger around with menus and get them ready. So the main thing that evolved with Goat was we had a guy called Will Hartley, who was another comedian. Um, he was Punishment Twat, was his official title in the live show. And so whichever team lost, me or Sam would have to do a horrible forfeit. But what Will would also do was he would set up the controllers. So while me and Sam were hosting and talking to the guests about the game we were going to play, Will was loading up the next game, going through the menus, getting them ready, so that by the time we finished talking nonsense, the game was ready to go. So there was never any waiting. It always kept playing. And that was um, that was the most important but also most difficult and labour-intensive thing was learning and memorising menu options and getting there quick so that the show could move on so it was it was as much about that as it was anything else it's making it actually happen have you did you ever see the live episode of games master yes because <laughs> <laughs> that is at times painful to watch dexter yes. fletcher st- like stall for time while yeah. they tried to get the next game set up yes i i, I have and had seen that and was determined <laughs> for uh, if you've ever tried to do a show at drunk people at midnight at the fringe at the weekend, they would not have tolerated that level of <laughs> bluster. Um, we needed to bulldoze through it. And if somebody wasn't downing a pint of jalapeno brine, then they better be playing a video game. <laughs> it would kick off. So, uh, yeah, there was there was no uh, there wasn't the luxury of breathing space <laughs> in the live version of Go Ape Fit. But did it do well? I suppose that's the key to it. Is like, it was the show successful? Was the reception to it good? It was amazing. It's the it's the only time me and some of them have read anything approaching buzz. <laughs> it was very cool because it wasn't billed. Uh, we didn't really talk about it, and it sold out. We added an extra show. Immediately got a residency in London. Immediately, like within like a month of Edinburgh, I think Row had picked it up for development for telly. Um, like um, uncommonly successful um sort of our like it's, it's no coincidence that it was dave who picked up who picked obviously ran with taskmaster just before sort of looking for those late night gang show things up at the fringe festival and um yeah go eight bit just it just clicked um and it, yeah it, it it was it was incredibly successful and um yeah i do miss those like i don't miss the work but the like the live go eight bit in its original incarnation um was uh quite a, quite a sight to behold <laughs> Do you have any like lasting memories of that original show or the you know, the original shows that you did? Yeah, I think the particularly the real original original ones where it was it was myself and Sam with the team captains. We would get other sketch acts to come. So in the original one, like uh, like Jenny B, who's a brilliant comedy actress, uh, she uh, she had like a video on YouTube doing like a version of Lana Del Rey's video games as Princess Peach. She came on and performed that live in between the games. Uh, Beasts have got a great sketch about uh, Mister Needle Mouse as the original Sonic the Hedgehog name so we had we had a sketch with the the real mcguffins were another one they wrote a sketch that was all puns on game titles and so it was much more because our background was sketch stuff it was it there was a lot of narrative and stuff to it so it was very very rich there was songs there was sketches there was gameplay battles we had uh paul foxcroft and richard Soames who were brilliant improvisers they were commentating on the live thing uh, we had uh, Will as the punishment swat. So you've got the forfeits. 
Guy Kelly who did these insane challenges uh, with like blindfold with his feet and all that stuff. There's like a whole like the especially when we did the first first year, like the I think the first Edinburgh venue, it was like a fifty seater, and there's maybe twenty people on stage because we've got guests as well. So you'd have me, Sam, Will, Guy, Paul, and Rich with the cast. You'd have two guests for round one, two for the second round, and four for Bomberman for round three. So like there was almost more people in it than there were. <laughs> In the audience, um, and it was, and it came, it just came at you so hard and fast. For now, it was a glorious, glorious thing. You know, by the end of it, you know, we've been given dead arms, eating jalapenos, drunk a tuna smoothie, and you know, this, the whole room stinks of blended fish. It was, um, it was, it, it was a wonderful thing. I mean, it was a ridiculous shambles, and it needed polishing for telly. But it was a, <laughs> it, it, yeah, it, it, it was. Yeah, it's probably it's probably the best thing any of us will ever do. It was it, the, the, those live shows were phenomenal. So you said you and you and Sam were working on sitcoms for for the BBC. They're stuck in development hell. Were like, yeah. did you sort of just abandon those and just sort of outright, or were they essentially they all just fell apart? And you were like, well, maybe let's just try this instead then. Well, the main the main one we did we'd got a sketch. It was actually the first thing Sam ever brought to me as a sketch that he wrote, which was about a city trader, this obnoxious city trader, and it was in. Um, there's a sketch pilot called For the Win, and it was in that, and it, it really took off, and the video of it went viral. So then they wanted to us to work up a sitcom for it, and so. But as as uh, there's a million people will tell you the same story with the BBC. By the time you've actually got it into some sort of shape that's half decent, the person who commissioned it's gone, <laughs> and the new person doesn't care, or they've got opinions that completely strip the essence of what the thing was anyway. So eventually, it just becomes this horrible Frankenstein's monster dog's mess. Idea that either gets made and then you know the writers and talent get screamed off the internet <laughs> while the producers go on and continue their careers bulletproof, or it just doesn't get made. And uh what was I can't remember what it was called now. Uh but whatever that sitcom was called, it it was it was very funny. Um, but it yeah, it it, it was not to be. But by that point, it didn't matter because Goebbit was in development, so we were moving on to that anyway. So was that developing through, was it like literally UK TV Dave would approach me? Because when I, I spoke with Simon Longdon uh, about this and he said that um, it might be something that Jinx were, you know, at least pitching towards Jinx. Or was it was it several different sort of people you were courting? Yeah, so um, so the Jinx thing, um, the guys at Jinx actually came along to the very first guide bit. So it was at the Canal Cafe in London, like the first preview we ever did. And it was um, because we I'd started talking, I'm, I'm always hustling. And because I'd started making a video gaming comedy show, I'm immediately thinking about, right, what can we do with this? And so I reached out to Jinx, uh, which I imagine your listeners do know, but it's a video gaming TV channel in the UK and internationally. And I just reached out to them and said, like, I'm, we're working on this thing. You might be interested. So they came along to the first one. And I ended up through that relationship with Jinx. That's how I met Simon um, and Mason, who you talked to, and a guy called James Neal, who was a brilliant man who unfortunately... Uh, didn't exist in an environment where you could make Jinx the thing that it always should be, but never quite is. Um, but so I start. I started writing reviews and I started writing scripts for Dan and uh, Co. On and actually for um, oh, what's his name? Tom Deacon, the original mm. video game nation host. And um, I've forgotten the woman's name. She's all, she um, she died sadly. She's she, yeah, she um, passed away a couple of years ago. Yeah, yeah, um, horrible accident. Um, but uh, so I started writing for jinx um and they were looking at uh maybe make a great bit but budget and just jinx's inertia generally made that quite difficult but so i ended up because great bit didn't get 
filmed until 2016. But I gave up my day job to start in 2014 because I started, I was working full time for Jinx, sort of writing and making like review videos and content for them. So, um, yeah, I worked for Jinx for two years, pretty much full time. Which is probably where you were on the, the first version of Video Game Nation, um, the original version of the show. We were on episode became... one. Yeah. Uh, Go, before... Go 8 Bit itself, the live version of Go 8 Bit is on the first. That's right. Episode. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, which has been completely lost to time um, because from from what I've been told, uh, Jinx just deleted everything. And, well done, um, <laughs> so like it, it just does not exist anymore. It's arguably the best gaming magazine show of the last 20 years, but yeah, just accidentally deleted well, it. Just that original version, they, what we you know, Simon would describe as the Simon years of the show before Adam Mason took over and, and made it better. Yeah, yeah, and made better. it better, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Shout out to Simon. He's, uh, Simon. It's not Simon's fault. Like, so we, we got Simon to work yeah. on Go 8-Bit. Simon was good, but uh, yeah, Mason's yeah. version. Mason was allowed to make a better show. Simon struggled against the way that Simon explained it to me was that like it was a show that I mean he tried to he described me he wanted to do a, a review of Bioshock but from the perspective of a horse and uh, yeah that's that right was, yeah, that sounds yeah. like Simon's version of the show yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it went down it went down like a lead balloon but like yeah. while it was all sort of falling apart around him he was chatting with you about the development of the like so when you're like developing the live version for a TV what sort of changes are you were you looking to make well we weren't looking to make any changes to it but uh, that's telly. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we we liked our show and we'd have loved to have pointed cameras at it and put it on the telly uh, but uh, how, how would all the people in telly justify their salaries if they didn't change it and ruin it Luke <laughs> I'd have, I'd have been have more than happy to put the original thing on the telly but, uh, <laughs> you know, we, knew, we knew it was good because without any of them interfering it sold out and people liked it <laughs> <laughs> but that's not how telly works Luke Edinburgh, the first year, we did three previews, and that was just working out how the, to do it. Uh, and then we did five nights in Edinburgh. And then after that, we had a monthly residency at the Wenlock in Essex, which is just shut, actually. It was in Islington. Um, and we did a monthly show there. And what we started doing was we would do a new show each time. So we'd write, me and Sam would write a new song to open the show. We'd book different guests um, to play the games. We'd play different games. We'd always write a new video gaming sketch that we would do. Um, and we'd book guests that also performed gaming material. So, so it was like, it was, it was uh, within, I think it had an interval. So it was probably like an hour and a half, two hour show um, that was new uh, every month, which was a lot to turn over. There were a lot of people in it. Uh, but then as Roe, who by that point had uh, given us an appallingly small amount of money to to try to get it on the telly, um, we started to repeat things month to month. Because we, what we were trying to do was refine what we'd got and make it better in the hopes that the TV people who said they'd turn up would actually turn up and see it and then make it. Uh, so it started to become more repetitive, which I think was that was was the right thing to do um, in terms of Roe getting it commissioned, which was his job. The difficult thing was go eight bit as a live show uh, had all this buzz around it and had a very loyal audience, you know, it sold out very quickly when we put it on sale. And when that repetition came in, then some of the audience would quite reasonably sort of drift away from it because they've seen that. So it, so it, it, that tension between doing a live thing for its own sake and uh, getting something made by telly, that was sort of the first tensions of that because we just wanted to make a, you know, continue to build that successful thing that we built. Just lastly on the, before we kind of move into the, you know, the development with the TV shows and stuff. Yeah. Who, what, who go eight bits. Was it you or, or Sam that, that came up Sam with that? Line? Clue. The, no, the name's Sam. Actually, the name is Sam's contribution to the go eight bit story. 
Uh, which is a, a an appallingly uh, low rent pun on go ape shit. Yeah, uh, is that, which is uh, again a moment ago you're going to talk about the same thing. So when it was a live show, McNeil and Pamphlon go ape shit, right? Mm-hmm. That makes that's a shit pun, but that does make sense. Dara O'Brien's go ape <laughs> shit doesn't mean anything, does it? Uh, and that, if you want an understanding of telly in a nutshell, <laughs> that. It's only an apostrophe. Oh, yeah. That's the difference, really. <laughs> an apostrophe. But it, it makes a thing that worked not work. Just one little flick of the pen and it's all buggered. Um, and that's uh, that's not, not relevant to the story. It's probably why I didn't pick up on the pun until like watching the show. And he's like, let's, and he, and he said, let's go. Makes a- sense. And he went, let's go eight bit. I was like, oh, let's go eight. Yeah, yeah oh. I get it. Yeah, oh, I, I see. Oh. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, the other person we haven't mentioned before we move on, Rob Sedgbeer, the gorgeous Rob Sedgbeer, who's now my other half on Wi-Fi Wars, the new thing I do. He approached us at the live show with this technology he got where the audience can all play games on their phones. And so from very early on in the residency, we had these lock-ins where we would do interactive stuff where the whole audience would play on these things that Rob had created. So Wi-Fi Wars became its own thing. But part of the buzz of the live show was we got this cool thing that nobody else could do, which was the whole audience played games and things on their phones. So I must I must mention him because I'll see him tomorrow and he'll tell me off. So what were the development meetings like when she was chatting with UK TV and Dave? Well, we well D- Dave came in quite late. So for a long time, for about a year, we were just trying to get any bugger to watch it. And they kept saying they'd come and never do it. It's quite hard to get execs to leave leave their offices and watch things. Um, and I, I mean, in truth, that the process was, um, yeah, it was quite tense. Uh, between me and Roe. Me and Roe, Roe had directed Brendan's show in 2007 and he'd also co-directed with Matt, who directed British show, me and Sam's 2012 sketch show, Olympic Love Production. And me and Roe had been friends for a very long time, but in a very, I love Roe like a brother, which means I hate him like a brother. Uh, and I think that's mutual. We're still very good friends now. Like we play D&D together and we, we love each other very much. But at that particular point in our careers and ego development, uh, there wasn't a lot of uh, room between our two opinions <laughs> uh, f- for warmth. So uh, we were we were at loggerheads and it was quite um, tense. But in, tr- in truth, as we found out when we got commissioned, we didn't know how good we got it with Ro. <laughs> I, 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 should, I should have appreciated him more at the time. But uh, it was quite difficult because me and Sam were just trying to make a career and we got this live thing that was going well. And we were repeatedly tailoring the show for executives who didn't turn up at the expense of uh, pleasing and growing our audience for the thing that already existed. So it it, it was a conflict of interest, but a, a necessary one, but it, it made it quite difficult. And I think mm. Sam was, uh, Sam, Sam was less video gamesy, but also Sam has a less confrontational way of navigating things and can be more passive, not, not as a criticism, but he'll, he'll, um, I, 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 I at that time wasn't very good at just letting things go, mm. so I didn't. <laughs> I can be quite hard work. Uh, my, my people close to me would say I'm still hard work, but I'm I'm not as bad as it was at that point. I would be the first to put my hands up and say I I was uh, I had strong opinions and I voiced them regularly. What were what were those opinions then? You could be you could, if you don't, if you don't want to say you don't have to say, but if you if you, I, if you, you know, honestly I don't even know, but I know one of Adam. <laughs> And I know they'll have mattered then. Uh, but that's sort of the point, isn't it, about what I am. 
is <laughs> I'll have had a very strong opinion about a the thing then, and for good reason, as far as I was concerned. But I, that what that was is lost in the mist of time, and I imagine nobody else can remember either. Because <laughs> grand scheme of things, who cares? But when you're trying to work on, you know, the the third beat of the comedy sketch in this month's Go Eight Bit live show to 130 people. That's all that matters then. <laughs> but it doesn't now, so it's, it's fall- I'm terrible at remembering things anyway, but so it's falling out of my brain. But yeah, no, I don't know. But I know that me and Ro were... Me and Ro had to take ourselves aside at one point and just go, can we stop being horrible to each other, please? Because we love each other, and this is horrible. Our two teams will be battling out over five different video games from gaming history. It's game on. Play, play, play. Oh, no, no, no. We can't see her. She's behind you hitting you in the head with a lightsaber. But this isn't all about high scores. That's mostly about high scores. Dan O'Brien's Go 8-Bit starts Monday the 5th of September, only on Dave. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Okay, so what was development like then? Did they literally say, here's what we want to change? And you were like, well, we'd rather not change this. We think we should do this instead. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but they won. But they won. Uh, so we filmed a pilot in... When did we film the pilot? In the middle of 2014, I think, at the Tabernacle, uh, which is where Acaster filmed all his stand-up specials. Um and various other, I think, I'm trying to think somebody else's show had been filmed in there, a Dave show, so it was already rigged with lights and things. Um, but at that point, um, so me and, so what, what happened with Go 8-Bit was, I think T, what TV would have liked to have happened 
is that we'd all fucked off and they just made it with other people. Uh, but somehow me and Sam ended up in it. <laughs> just uh, not in every edit, but in some episodes, <laughs> me and Sam are in it. Uh, but everybody else who'd been involved in the live show slowly got shit canned. So the first people we lost were um, Paul and Richard who were the commentators. Uh, and that became me and Sam doing commentary. Uh, and at the point we filmed that first pilot, though, Will, who was the punishment twat, uh, was still in the show. And we filmed it before a live audience. We filmed it in a theatre in front of a live audience. And the forfeits were still very much a big part of it. it the, the forfeits, even at, even at the point the TV show got commissioned, Will was in the final run through... December 2015 um, as in that role. So uh, Will and Forfeits were part of the show until the point of commission. Um, Me and Will are still friends too. He also plays D&D with me and Rowan. (laughs) Everybody I've ever uh, ruined careers, I've uh, I've kept them as (laughs) D&D characters instead. Um, But yeah, uh, it was was quite unpleasant. It was very unpleasant. I had a breakdown, uh, but right. uh, no, oh, it was miserable. It was miserable. I nearly walked off the show. Series three, between series two and three, um, but they, we, we, it was made very clear to us, uh, to me and Sam, that we were very lucky that we still might be in our show, mm. uh, which I don't care for as a position. <laughs> Because I think if that's your position, you're a cunt. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and I stand by that. Uh, but so it was very, very tense. And through that process, as Telly wanted to do a telly all over it, um, that left me and Sam, and, and maybe me a bit more, because I, I was more actively developing it. Sam was working on another show down in Bristol a lot of the time. I, I, I'd got all my mates to be involved in a show for fun in Edinburgh. And now I was slowly having to really, really t- tell tell my mates great news. The show might get on telly and you're not in it. Uh, doing that repeatedly to all the people who put all the effort in to make the thing mm. good that TV had then paid to fuck to death um, weren't going to get to benefit from it. So um, it was quite, it was qu- the whole pro, everything about making away for telly was really unpleasant and miserable. <laughs> I've had a lot of therapy and I'm doing a lot better now. So I can say that in good faith, but but yeah, I, I did I enjoy anything about it? No, <laughs> not really. I'm, bra- I'm proud of it. Uh, it could have been a lot better than it was, uh, but I am proud of it. And I know a lot of people love it. I don't want to be completely down on it. Cause I, like if you haven't had to live through the politics of it and just accept it at face value as the final thing that it was, it's a perfectly serviceable show where funny people play games or people from soap operas in series three for some reason but <laughs> generally generally it's it's a solid show but it could have been a lot more and the way in which what what it taught me was it's why i do wi-fi watch now just do a live show me and rob are the bosses and we do whatever we want um is the nature of make taking something from a fun thing done with passion by a group of people and allowing that to exist in a sort of corporate model um the compromises you have to make aren't ones that i'm comfortable with 
Um, and I didn't, and I didn't know that at the time. And unfortunately, I discovered that in the process, uh, and it, so it, it left a bit of taste. But uh, it, 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 the, what we wanted the show to be was almost always at odds with what the TV channel needed. And it's not that they're wrong. It's not that they were. It's not that they were. They weren't trying to make a good show. It's just it wasn't the show that we were trying to make. <laughs> yeah. And that, and that can only lead to conflict or resentment or um, people being at loggerheads because um, at what point do the creative uh, energies behind the show not get to say what the show is creatively? Um, yeah. Because I suppose one of those one of those big changes coming in is Dara, and it's you know obviously we we you know, joked about the the title uh, mm. a moment ago, but Dara coming in, he's the the host of the show. It is now Dara O'Brien's go eight bits, indeed. But but, but was he at least pleasant to work with? No, Dara, no, Dara was great. I like and, and again, again, Ellie, who uh, we got in um, fairly early on, she uh, she'd hosted uh, the go eight bit stage at EGX with us. She'd sort of done gaming interviews, and she was a very big advocate of the show and she, she knew her onions. So she was, we really wanted Ellie on board and we were delighted that she uh, sort of got cast and, and, and was in that. Uh, she was definitely, you know, we were really, really keen to use her. And Dara is a legitimate gamer who in every interview he gave, he was always very, um, uh, he always made the point again, you know, Steve, Steve and Sam's show and then I'm hosting it, but they developed it and they did this thing. He was very generous and, um, uh, kind in the way he made sure we got recognition that the way it was explained to us that it was Dara Bridge great bit is that on the EPG on the electronic program guide people are sort of skipping through it if they see the name Dara O'Brien they'll watch that um, so even just calling it go eight bit that doesn't mean anything to anybody but Dara's name has some weight so that's why it wouldn't be go eight bit with Dara O'Brien it's Dara O'Brien's go eight bit because then you see Dara's name and you click on it so there is a telly like that might be bullshit <laughs> uh, in the in the way that everyone in telly thinks they know things and they don't um mm. so at some point it has become received wisdom <laughs> with tv execs that that's true i i will competently bet you everything in my bank account no proper scientific study of whether that's horseshit or not has ever been conducted but they've all decided that's true thus it has become true and for fear of losing their jobs by making a brave choice everyone just goes along with that and so that is why yeah. that is that and that and and that, and and that's a lot of the case with telly it's not bad people making deliberately divisive choices it's that it's people with careers who are trying to not waste a million quid trying to go with the best guess at what's probably a good idea but that that is a far more conservative way of creating something than let's just get leathered at midnight in Edinburgh and see what comes out of that. Yeah. Um, they're very different approaches to making a thing. Um, so I'm not down on UK TV who were the only channel who took a punt on it um, or even uh, the production company um, who again, were the only production company DLT who were willing to give it a look in. I might have disagreements of opinion over, the ways they conducted themselves or the choices they made or the way they managed the relationship with the creative core um, that grew the show. Uh, but they weren't trying to fail because <laughs> no one is they, Everybody no. believes they're right. Um, but as the viewing figures show, they weren't. <laughs> 
so like you know we made the joke about the name earlier were you just sort of told this is what we're going to do but did you yeah. point out well the apostrophe doesn't make sense now oh yeah <laughs> don't matter it's what don't you matter. Matter. You go, doesn't it doesn't it matter what words mean all right <laughs> i don't know how well that bodes for for the comedy we're writing but yeah all right yeah no, i'm, I'm sure it was right you on. took that advice on when you wrote your book the words don't matter oh any old shit any old shit <laughs> Just, re- just remember, after about eight lines, that's a paragraph, and then you start a new one. That's it. That's how words work. Yeah, no. Uh, it, yeah, it doesn't matter. When I spoke with Simon uh, about this, good, yeah, he was saying about uh, the, the original version of, of Video Game Nation and then going on to this. Ooh. He said that there was kind of like a, a difference of opinion between there were people, the telly people and the gamer people, and sort of like yes. the series producer was sort of like leaning more towards the telly people than the, the gaming people. Like the, the way that Simon said it was like the, the series producer didn't like video games. So he just sort of just wanted to do this instead. So I did a stand-up show, which in part sort of covered the genesis of this. And and in that, I talk about the first first thing that, I won't name them because that doesn't seem fair, but the first thing that person that Simon's referring to ever said to me uh, when I met them because they'd been brought on board to series produce, go ape, it was, I don't really like comedians or video games. And at that point, Luke, I had a feeling things might not be as straightforward as I'd like. (laughs) Because at... Our pitch for Go 8-Bit was comedians play video games. There's only one word in that three-word sentence that he actively didn't dislike. (laughs) So so 66% of the words in that are things he doesn't like. And the middle one's play. Because yeah, Simon also said that you had like almost a small pool of games to choose from as well. And it's like, like when you're sort of putting together the challenges, like how difficult is that, you know, dealing with the companies and stuff? Because like in... In in series two, like I, I, you know, only brought this one out. Uh, uh, as James wants to play Street Fighter two, but you're playing yeah. Street Fighter five, and it's a case of just Capcom just wanting you to play the new game rather than the old one. Sometimes uh, there, there were several things. I, I have to be a bit careful how I phrase this one, but I can answer it. Um, the so with when we did the live show, I just played the games I wanted to play. Uh, so very similar to if you're on Twitch, just go. Bugger it, I'll play that. And you do. And no one cares. Um, we all accept that basically, if you made Street Fighter, you're delighted that an uh, influencer with viewers is playing it because the people go, oh, I'll buy Street Fighter. That It basically works as a model. We all just go, yes, all right. <laughs> uh, and that's fine. If you are the lawyer for a TV production company, you cannot sign off on that <laughs> as a system, which means you have to get permission to use other people's ip um that is correct and necessary uh to apply uh, to um to meet the requirements of being a broadcaster <laughs> that being said there is a sliding scale of the level of reassurance and usage you need to secure and what happened in the earlier days with go bit was and this and i must add this disclaimer for my own sake i don't know that it was exactly this but something to the effect of we were looking to be able to the wording was of the form of using the likeness of those video games in our show globally in perpetuity so the reason for that was the production company wanted to be able to sell the show internationally uh, so you don't want to get in a situation where you go, oh, we can't give them episode three because actually we were only allowed five years of 
Frogger in the UK or Europe. So I can't. So it becomes a mess. You just need to be able to go. If I make this TV show, that's my product. So I want to be able to sell that product forever to everyone. That makes sense. Unfortunately, with the with the way video gaming clearances work, if I it's why Nintendo weren't in the show till Series Three part of this. If I go to Nintendo UK and go, can I play Mario Kart on Dave next week? They'll go, yeah. <laughs> if I go, can I film me playing Mario Kart and uh, sell that to TV stations all over the planet forever, please? They'll go, we should check with Japan. <laughs> and I don't know if you know anything about Nintendo in Japan, but they're busy. So <laughs> it isn't a priority for the lawyer of Nintendo Japan to reply to our emails about playing Captain Toad Treasure Tracker <laughs> on a cable channel in a small island. So you just hit an impasse. Now, the way this, I mean, the, we, I mean, we're really getting into the weeds on this, but I guess it's of interest to the people. If you're one of the many listeners listening to this going, oh, Steve's not as shit as I thought he was. And <laughs> actually, I can see why I hated Go 8-Bit. Welcome. Uh, <laughs> th- th- these are the problems that made the show not the thing that neither I nor your listeners wanted it to be. But what what UK TV, the company that run, owns the Dave TV channel needed, was the ability to show those games on UK TV and on their online platform for, say, two or three years. So all we needed was three years UK, which somebody in a UK office for a lot of games companies, I've referenced Nintendo, I'm just using them illustratively, but any games company in the UK could probably gone, yeah, fine, we'll sign it off now. Because the production company wanted, the le- wanted to be able to monetize the product they were making internationally, and because they wanted a level of reassurance that they'd got their asses covered, by asking for something more onerous than we needed for the UK one, we ended up with nothing. So that made it harder to even make the thing just for the UK. So to, for the games clearances is a thing what we could and couldn't use. That became far more of a thing than it needed to be for that UK show. But as ever, it wasn't people trying to deliberately ruin my lovely baby. <laughs> it was There was a valid business case and a point of view that made that necessary for certain parties. Unfortunately, if too many people involved in trying to make a thing like Go 8-Bit all just hold their position, it's very hard to do anything because it's quite a complicated set of moving parts to make a show like that exist. So that's a very long answer, but accepting the fact that I uh, I now add the disclaimer, legally that might be horseshit and I'm not blaming anyone. Uh, that is the essence of why it was so difficult to get games clearances on going bit. I promise you, like, I, I don't want all of my questions to feel like, and why was this bad? Or, and why was this difficult? But uh, from what no, I've been told... No, but it was. Making Go 8-Bit was really bad and difficult. There's a nice there's a nice thing exists now. I don't, like I say, I don't want to be down on it. Loads of people love that show. Over a million people watched it each week when it was at its peak. Uh, and a lot more have watched it since online. It was a very successful gaming show and people love it. I've had a lot of people come up to me at live shows saying, you know, it sort of got us through lockdown. We would just binge watch that and we love your time. It's what got me and my kids to start talking about video games. I've, I've been told a million lovely stories that make me very proud that we made it. Um, but uh, as as we're here talking about making video gaming TV, I uh, I owe you nothing but honesty, uh, <laughs> and it wasn't easy or fun making Go Eight Bit. And I believe one of the real tricky things was tech issues. So, yeah. so the way it's described to me is because you're playing it off the big screen, there was lag, mm. and that meant that people were having their inputs and stuff, yeah. and 
they weren't the inputs they were doing weren't really matching up what you know there's a couple of seconds behind on what they're doing there no and it, and it's and it and it and it really maybe more than anything uh, that contributed to the murder of go 8 bits longevity because i think when the first series came out it was only six episodes it was new we'd never telly had never thrown that much money at gaming really it was it was really expensive going you know we've got a rotating stage the massive war you know booking proper like bob mortimer bob mortimer like proper talent costs money as well to book guests like that on the show it was very very expensive and so i think we the gamers were by and large delighted and shocked to see that telly had actually made a thing with production values of more than six quid about <laughs> video games. So there was a lot of goodwill around that. And because it was new and exciting and they pushed it and it was shiny and it was different, it was successful. <clears throat> and what that meant as Dave often do, they then very quickly, if a thing's gone well, they want to make loads more of it. So they immediately commissioned series two and three and made them 10 episodes each. We were going to make another 20 straight off the back of those six and the spin-off show, which is better, go 8-bit DLC, which made 10 episodes off. So in the space of four months, we filmed 30 episodes of telly in 2017. It was it was relentless. Um, but there was, th- through that, there, w- there was a dilution of, of what it was. So the goodwill existed in series one, and the goodwill actually sustained on DLC, because that was clearly people who knew about games, who cared about games, getting into it and talking about games and having fun, not worrying about it being an in-joke or a thing you needed to go 8-bit always because it was treading that line of light entertainment, needed to not make non-gamers not watch it, or it felt it did. I don't think it did. I think there's enough people who play video games for you not to care. But Telly had an anxiety about alienating non-gamers. So go 8-bit had to spoon-feed you. It was, what is what is Tetris? Everyone yeah. knows what Tetris is. And if they don't, they're not watching this. So you don't need to explain to just play fucking Tetris. But go 8-bit. I understand why the main show needed to and the other one didn't. But because because of lag and us becoming more part of the furniture, Series 2 of go 8-bit was where the gamers on social media started to lay into the show a little bit. And one of the main criticisms it got was why the fuck are they booking people who don't know or like game? None of these pricks that are coming on can play games. So what's, I don't want to watch people not know how to fucking play video. They should be playing it and playing it well, but they were all good at playing games. And when we were in the green room, which we had set up with consoles, with all the games, we'd get them into us before and get them to play the games. Me and Sam would go and sit in with them, have a chat, make sure they knew all the buttons, all the controls, if they hadn't played them before. We'd let them know in advance what the games were so they could prep them at home if they wanted. Um, but there was, if, you, if you've seen Go 8-Bit, where, the compu- where we all sat, the sofa, that was on the edge of this massive revolving stage. And from the consoles, which were by our feet, because we needed the connectivity of the controllers. So the controllers were near the consoles. You then had a wire that ran all the way to the middle of the revolving stage, because it had to, because uh, the way it was built, because it rotated, dropped down, then ran all the way across the studio floor, massive TV studio floor, up the wall into a gallery that's about 40 foot high, into that desk, then send a vision feed back from there, back to the studio floor, into the LED screen. And by the time you sent a video, no matter what, and we've got all the toys, no matter what you're doing, by the time the videos got to that screen, 
there's lag. And quite a lot. Now, in some of the games, it could be half a second to a second of lag, which to a non-gamer won't sound like much. But I challenge anyone who thinks they're good at timing the jumps in Super Mario Brothers to do it if I give you a second of lag. It, it is. I actually got quite good at it because I used to practice on the studio for the rehearsals and get a feel for it. And I saw so I, I can play games preempting turns and things in racing games because I had to because I was meant to be a gamer and I didn't want to be humiliated being rubbish as the gamer on the gaming show. Um, but the guests, quite rightly, got you know Susan Cameron was just doing donuts in a tunnel on Ridge Racer. Like she can smash that course on Ridge Racer. She can't smash it if when she turns right, it doesn't turn right. So she presses it again and then it turns right. So it's just, it, it's impossible. Um, and the reason given uh, initially was cost, that it would be too expensive to have monitors on the desks. And actually when I offered to literally pay out of my own money <laughs> to put monitors on the, I genuinely so I'll pay for them. I will pay for monitors on set what it became apparent was that they wanted these low camera angles of our faces and they didn't like the idea our eyelines would be downwards at monitors because visually it would look bad on TV. The problem with that is, yes, it might look slightly worse if our eyelines aren't as visually appealing to traditional telly, but if everybody on the show where you compete on video games can't play the video games, it doesn't matter how nice our faces look. The gaming is a waste of everyone's time. And that's what the show is. It's competing on games. So, again, it's that telly versus gamers thing. And it was a big point of contention between us. You've got all the gamers going, you've got to have monitors with zero lag or you you can't do the thing. And production, uh, again, naming their names, going, I'm not having shit cluttering up the desk and getting in the way of the shots. That, ru- that ruins the thing. What should have happened was that the set and the camera shots were made sensitively around monitors, which were as much as possible made invisible or minimal in terms of impact on the screen. Uh, that should have been the solution because it's the only way you can do it. When we did, uh, even in the first great bit on stage, we'd have a telly on the floor in front of them, which was a live feed, and we'd then take a feed from that to the projector screen behind them. So the, the guests used to face front, so you could see their faces. Uh, so you'd watch them screaming, and you could see the game going on behind them, is always how we did it live. Because, because as with so much of it, we'd solved it live. We already knew how you had to do it, because we'd had to make it work in front of a live audience. But, um, yeah, so that was the issue, the lag thing. It was huge, and for me that there was that it wasn't respecting games as being the heart of it or trusting in the games being the entertainment themselves and it was then this tendency as they'd lent into light entertainment to book not comedians you know it was comedians play video games is what it was because if you make a comedian play a video game whether they're good or bad they're funny and that's entertaining if you get somebody on who's like simon gregson was a very nice man but he's been a side actor for 30 years and isn't He's not predisposed to be spontaneously funny about video games when he's also trying to play them because a lot of people shut down. And so by booking not funny people to be guests on that show, that also had an impact on how entertaining it was. But the lag was brutal because it came. Oh, the third thing. (laughs) It's all coming back. They originally the way the show worked to balance when me and Sam did it live and for the TV show was I'm a gamer. So I get the non gamer guest. Sam's a non-gamer, so he gets a gamer guest. 
by series three, they were putting the gamers with me for some <laughs> reason because that because they thought the balance of whatever the talent was looked better or whatever on screen on the sofa together. And Sam ended up with a lot of the non gamers. So the episode I remember the most was, was, was I had Nish Kumar on my team, and I think Sam had Anna, I want to say Richardson, she's not a comedian on his team. She never played some of the games in her life and had no idea. And it, it even made the edit. There was a point where Dara sort of said, oh, so how are you feeling? You feeling do you think you're going to win? And I said, it'd be weird if we didn't at this point. Because <laughs> 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 it's like, well, you've got two gamers here who've played it and you've got two dickheads over there who've got no idea what you're talking about. You don't know the way around the controller. So, yeah, I think we'll win. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. You know, who's going to win this race? The guy with no legs or <laughs> it's yeah. So, um, which again is about thinking about the visual, making a light entertainment telly show again. Yeah. But hang on, they're all actually doing something and that's games. So, but so it was the, the lack of respect or mindfulness paid to the gaming um, is, is I think what killed the show. I, th- I think, I think if we'd have stuck to our guns and only book comedians balance the teams between me and Sam as they should have been and um yeah solve solve that issue that made the gameplay actually legitimately exciting and good and close I, th- I think it would have run and run like Taskmaster has but uh there were enough there were enough things done wrong that it just it just sort of drifted away less and people less people came back to it because either the guests weren't funny or the gameplay just wasn't good enough to enjoy watching i think it was too one-sided we've already recorded like our review of the, the first episode of it like that's the episode we looked at which is oh, yeah. Susan Kelman right. and um david that's james a good one it. it is good because i i mean i really enjoyed the the, the fight between you and uh, david james on tekken yes and, yeah. and i thought like david james is a really interesting guest to book on this because like i like you know, i thought well, this is usually it's comedians you know i'd have thought this would be it was actually good because the, our only exception was that if they're proper gamers it's all right yeah. And David That's James it. is a proper guy. Jodie Kidd as well. We had Jodie Kidd. She was brilliant because she like builds PCs for fun. That's Jody it, yeah. Kidd's proper games. Like, That's all right because then at least they, they can talk with knowledge. Well, plus as well, David James has got the history because he once gave us an excuse for being bad at a football game. Exactly. I was up all night playing Tekken. So yeah. like it's, it's got a perfect in to be a yeah. guest on the show. Yeah. Yeah, exactly that. Yeah. Yeah. So that's that's true. That's that's that yeah, that is important. That that was all right. But um the one yeah, Gregson and um Richardson and some of the other ones like that in series three. What was it? Uh, Ma- uh Maggie Adrian Pocock, lovely, incredible scientist, incredible woman, but other than a game on a smartphone, I don't think she's ever seen a console. <laughs> it's, it's an odd choice to make them play a VR battle zone. <laughs> Game. Must have been uh, must be fun beating David James at Tekken as well. Well, I cheated on that. I got I actually I got a bollocking on set for that because he was really good. And one of the secrets in the original live show was me and Sam would always be better or worse at the games to make it close. So if one team was winning lots by having me and Sam play, we could sort of get keep it interesting narratively for the so the sort of narrative arc of the show. Uh, and so that was one of the first ones we filmed the camp. In fact, it was, I think, it, no, it wasn't the first. The first one was um, Gorman and Josie Long was the first one we filmed. But uh, I think they thought the camera was the best one, which it was. Uh, but yeah, so I, when uh, the menu came up, I uh, bumped up the, uh, like, uh, what do you call it? The, the sort of um, handicap thing. So right. I, I made his punches uh, less effective than mine. <laughs> <laughs> 
And they didn't see it on the studio floor because I knew they wouldn't. But I know I could, as a game, I know I could get away with that. And then this will probably be a bit closer because I thought he was going to kick my ass. Mm, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, Simon spotted it backstage and uh, mentioned it to one of the crew. And they, I got a right bollocking for that. Like, <laughs> I, th- I think in their head, they were like, well, that's that's cheating and you can't do that. And you go, game is cheat. Like, absolutely call me out on it in the show and I'll, I'll put my hands up. But that's what you would do. If you thought you were going to get beat and you could get away with it, you'd change the difficulty. <laughs> No, it's not, no one's betting on it. It's not. It's not, it's not going to be like it. Like if I drugged a horse before a big race, no one watching or in Ofcom cares that I cheated on Tekken. But yeah, they were all very worried that that was somehow going to be an, an issue. But it wasn't. I'd, I'd actually know this at the time, uh, and it was only until I was watching through it recently to prep for the podcast. I actually know someone else who worked on the show, Tom Burgess, who was part of the um, uh, uh, the tech team. So I, I do. Um, yeah. We'd make videos with him on our board game channel, Amazing. and. Uh, he was telling me about like you know he was one of the few people that actually knew, understood how the tech works and things like that and like I, the the tech side of it, the final challenge so to speak you know in that first mm. episode it's playing uh Buster Move but using uh Makey Makey and <laughs> yeah. you had like all the people yeah. in cosplay and stuff with Cher there and yeah, Cher yeah that's yeah yeah, yeah. but like that, was that like the real fun bit as well because that was like the real sort of the mad aspect of it that was more yeah that was more like the mischief of the old um of the old forfeits almost sort of get yeah get up and be humiliated like we we me and sam dressed up as paddles once in horrible body tight blue suits and like just like squeezed sausages into it horrible <laughs> um but now they were fun they were quite stressful sometimes but uh no they were fun i think the only thing again with that because rob who created wi-fi was was technical manager on the show so he had to make all those makey makey things is once they discovered makey makey the non-gamey production people became a bit obsessed with it and there's quite a lot of makey makey stuff in the show where it's actually Robert only ever intended us to use it once and then we'd do something else, but it sort of comes back again again because they've seen it, it worked. They go, that's how we do interactive games. If we do make it, make it, you go, no, there's like 600 other things we could do. But so once you, yeah, once, you, once you've told somebody a thing, they go, oh, that's what it is. And yeah. so, we, so we sort of got lumbered with making, making a bit, but it's a very cool bit of kit, but um, we'd never intended it to be uh, used as often as it was. You mentioned that series two and three were quite stressful. You filmed them back to back and it was like a real yeah. like awful thing. But were there any like lessons learned from series one that you implemented into two and three? No. <laughs> <laughs> I, I wrote a very, very long um, uh, document after series one uh, as an attempt to illustrate by what had happened uh, in production of series one here are the things that we should look at changing um and that was almost universally ignored or dismissed <laughs> but all of all of the things that we've talked about today luke uh, were no doubt in that document uh, <laughs> with, with valid explanations of why uh change was necessary um but no <laughs> <laughs> I told them. I did tell them. Yeah, well, well, that's it, it. As long as you if, told if them. The people who were listening actually thought they hated me before they listened to it. Learn anything from this. I hope it's that all the things you said, I said them to, and I tried so hard to make them do them, uh, but they didn't listen. But I know, and I'm sorry. <laughs> And I suppose like the, the real sort of uh, extra sad thing to, to end on when we're talking about the, the, yeah, the, the, the three the three series that you got is that you found out it was cancelled through Twitter. I did. Yeah. Yeah, that wasn't yeah. very cool. No. By some random who'd overreached as well, I think, on um <laughs> on the social media. You just pay social media people, don't you, to sort of run the accounts or something. Some poor sod who just getting paid minimum wage now to make hilarious tweets on Twitter. No, I got caught in the middle <laughs> with me going, <laughs> fuck it, hang on, what? oh all right yeah we'd been told that um it was in the balance and it was possible it was possible or probable there wouldn't be more but we hadn't had a formal we have made a decision that we are not making more go eight bit so it Mm. was uh, somebody 
tagging me on a tweet, going, is that right, Steve? And he goes, well, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I was on holiday. I was like, oh, okay, oh man. come on. <laughs> oh, all right. You've you've got you've moved you've got your Wi-Fi wars which you were sort of doing before like the the TV yes. show as well and now so going your focus is that so is this really the end of of Go Eight Bit then or is there did you want to do we more? don't own it to get me, shows? Me, no no go, go, me and Sam had to we owned Go Eight Bit in series one but we got paid so little uh, so uh, me and Sam agrees to sell uh, Go Eight Bit the name and the format to the production company so that we got paid better <laughs> which isn't great. Uh, but so is it's not in our hands, and I, I imagine if anybody did choose to remake it at this point, given how much they didn't want me and Sam in it the first time, I doubt we'd be asked back for a reboot. So um, maybe Frankie Ward can do it and uh, wrap <laughs> <laughs> the one series for three episodes online uh, <laughs> on UK TV play. But yeah, so no, don't any of that. I did try to uh, make another show, a video gaming show with UK TV. Uh, but I was treated so much worse than I wasn't going to bit. And oh, they made such abysmal choices uh, <laughs> in the, the journey to pilot that uh, that was enough for me to realise that I don't want to work with telly people anymore. So I, I no longer pursue TV as a medium of entertainment <laughs> that I create for. So, you know, we did Twitch for a while and that was fun. Uh, but uh, now um, me and Rob, are very very happy uh doing our live show we 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 we, we tour around the country uh and the way it works is we make a show we like you buy a ticket and at the end we all fuck off <laughs> <laughs> and that, no no one gets to have an opinion on what it is if you like it you give us money and if you don't you don't come again it's all very simple it's all about board and uh it has proven financially far more rewarding than working in telly believe it or not uh, and spiritually, creatively far more fulfilling. So I am very, very happy um, pursuing a career that doesn't involve uh, broadcast entertainment <laughs> as a source of income. You know, like you you said, the first posters for Go 8-Bit in, uh, in Edinburgh were like, it's like Games Master Bit in a cupboard with drunk people. Is that what yeah. you've got on the posters for this new one? It's like, you come, you pay, <laughs> and then we all fuck off. Yeah, and then you all fuck off. Well, no, because we do a family show, so that wouldn't be... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> all right, you all go home. Yeah, you all go home. Boys and girls, uh, if any of your listeners out there do want to come to a fun, it really, it, grew, it is what Go 8-Bit would have become if it had kept being a live show or the TV show had let us use Rob's toys. Um, mm. What should have happened, and we did pitch it, was that the TV show, uh, we were going to build a version of Rob's stuff where the audience watching the TV show would play a game as part of the show. Um, and we built that and it exists and we've used it for like um, live events online and things. But uh, Wi-Fi Wars is, if me and Rob could have just made the show we wanted to, Wi-Fi Wars is what Go 8-Bit should have become mm. as a live thing so if anybody's curious what we'd have rather it had been uh come come to wi-fi wars and see what you could have won <laughs> so yeah. i suppose I'll, I'll give you the the final word then on oh. go away bit as we wrap this up yeah. no <laughs> <laughs> but if you like it that's great if you like it that's great but no. I, I mean, I'll be honest with you. When we watched, the, I rewatched the first episode. When I watched it in, in 2016, I was like, "Oh, that's that's a bit of fun." But when I rewatched it, I was like, yeah. "Actually, it's way better than I gave it credit for." Like back in the day, actually, I thought it was, our first episode is really good. People love it, and that's great. And uh, yeah, yeah. I, I, I like to say it's, it, it's a really nice thing that it exists. Um, I have a unique relationship with it that isn't what a viewer would have with it. So <laughs> I have my own feelings, but I, I wouldn't want that to um, 
detract from the enjoyment people do get out of it because that's a lovely thing it's nice it made so many people happy well final thing then uh plug away what do you what do you want to promote what do you want to plug uh your podcast obviously oh, well well done for getting through it all and st- and refusing to stop even then <laughs> <laughs> if anything we made it longer for ourselves like we really were just going to stop after series seven and we're like yeah. no let's just keep going let's just Forever. find more things to talk about <laughs> start watching them again we did talk about that at one point and then we we're like no we can't do that no, that's I another three odd years <laughs> um no yeah no um if anybody wants to find out more about me steve mcneil.com is my website i've got a book about the history of video games if you're not sick of my voice it's an audio book as well i've got a stand-up show on there you can buy from go faster stripe download it or dvd uh come to the live show wi-fi with that. just if you like video gaming comedy things i make those um and there are various things you can acquire for money but I, I won't be offended if you don't. No one pays for anything anymore, and everything's expensive now, isn't it? So keep your money. It's all right. And on that bombshell, uh, well, thank you. Have so you got a coffee? Or anything? Have you got? Have you got like a donation? Sorry, I will let you finish. Have you got a donation thing? Uh, we have a Patreon. Yeah. Oh, they are. Well, they are. Plug that then. Go. Get, don't give me any money. I'm doing all right. Give. Uh, stick a bit of money in the Patreon for the podcast you've listened to for 300 hours and never spent a quid on. Please. Um, yeah, I, mean, I thank you so much for your your time today. I won't interrupt again now, Luke. I'm going to let you and... wrap up now. <laughs> nice clean out for the podcast. And I here we go. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I am shutting up now. Go on, go on, go on. Uh, thank you so much for your time and I very much apologise that this might have been a more traumatic interview than you might have intended when you agreed to do this because I've just brought up horrible things from your past. Sorry, right. I've got tablets now. I'm fine. <laughs> My thanks once again to Steve McNeil. He's on all the social medias and all that sort of stuff. Very, very grateful for him taking the time out to have a chat with me to talk about Go 8-Bit and its genesis and its history and, the unfortunately, the, the demise of it. And, you know, it, it's a, a very difficult subject for, for him to talk about, as you can probably tell listening to that interview. So we really, really do appreciate that he uh, took the time out of his day to have a chat with me and kind of relive some of those those bad times uh but thank you so much to him please go and support uh him go check out wi-fi wars as well because it's an excellent show uh but that is it for this episode thank you so much for listening you all rule if you want to find us on social media we're at under console pod on instagram and threads at under dot console and you can send us an email to feedback at under consultation.com at this point here ash would tell me about um the discord and you can go join our discord and tell you about the discord so go and join the discord link for that is in the podcast description and then i will tell you about how you you can back us on Patreon and get next week's episode where we'll be reviewing that episode of Go 8-Bit uh, one week early and ad-free over at patreon.com forward slash underconsolepod if you back us at the £5 level. And then I'd run through all the £10 backer names, but I actually don't have those to hand and I can't access them easily. If anyone who was at UCP Live 2.0 will know that I can't do it through my phone because the, the Patreon app is actually a little bit bobbins. Uh, so sorry about that 10 pound backers but trust me you're all very much loved if you want to hear your name read out um uh, listen to last week's episode or something or next week's episode because they'll be read out again then 
and actually because i don't have that i actually don't really have a good way to end this podcast so um i'll, I'll, I'll see you next time take care everyone good night Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.